Hello, I'm Oliver Wong, flying solo today. Morgan will be back next week. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, hot lava on wax. And today we'll be chugging back 45 years to get discotized by BT Express with their sophomore album, Nonstop. He's the man, gotta make you move. The discotizer will funky by you. The discotizer will energize you. The discotizer will hypnotize you. The discotizer the Brooklyn Transit Express began life as the King Davis House Rockers, sound like a b-boy crew. And then they went through a variety of name changes, including Brothers Trucking and other names before settling on the group that we know them by now today. As BT Express, they burst out onto the scene in the mid-70s with a hit number one album, Do It To Your Satisfied, and any concerns of a sophomore slump were put to rest when their follow-up, Nonstop, came out and also topped the R&B charts. Nonstop was built from the same Brooklyn sound elements that its predecessor made famous. And as we've discussed on the show before, the sound of disco coming out of the tri-state was once famously described by Fred Wesley as funk with a bow tie. And BT Express certainly embodied that idea with long, slick dance cuts classed up with string arrangements, but still keeping a foot in the mean streets of Brooklyn, thanks to the driving horn and rhythm sections all graced by the alternating voices of Richard Thompson, Louis Risbrook, and Barbara Joyce. Their album title was a nod to how they wanted people to receive their music, a nonstop dance jam experience, giving us what they got and daring us to ask, what you think about that? Nonstop was the album pick of our guests today, Kevin Smokler and Christopher Boone, the filmmakers behind the new movie, Vinyl Nation, a documentary dig into the record resurgence. In the film, Kevin and Chris go around the country, interviewing and profiling the myriad personalities who make up the motley community of record-obsessed fans and collectors. It's a love letter to the enduring popularity of the tactile record in an era of streaming music, as well as the resplendent diversity of vinyl fanatics who are out there. Heat Rocks fans who've seen the movie may have noted that around the 28-minute mark, a pair of familiar voices and faces come on. We have DJs, we have hip-hop, we have punk, but in between there, there was a layer of kids that were influenced by hip-hop but wanted to do something new, placing samples together to make beats. In the 2000s, digital DJing, and in particular, vinyl emulation systems or digital vinyl systems like Serato, when these begin to come online, a lot more DJs were happy to embrace that. So yes, not only were Morgan and me featured in the documentary, but Morgan was also the music supervisor for the movie. So it's a little ironic that she can't be here today, but it's also appropriate because the main reason she's not here is because she's juggling so many other music supervising gigs this week, she didn't have the time. Regardless, it's our pleasure to be in Vinyl Nation to sing odes to our favorite of formats. Christopher and Kevin, welcome to Heat Rocks. Thanks, Oliver. It's our pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Given that you all made an entire movie about record collecting, I was especially curious what album that you would want to talk about. And to be really candid, I would not have guessed it would be a mid-70s disco LP. 
let alone BT Express's second album, which I think is less well-known compared to their debut LP. So why nonstop? What makes this a heat rock for the two of you? So this is uh, Chris. I'll jump in with the story. Um, and then, Kevin, you correct me when I get it wrong. <laughs> so um, in our travels for shooting Vinyl Nation, uh, we were fortunate enough to spend some time with Roz Lee. She's one of the main characters in our film. She's, a, I believe, a vice president with the Miz Foundation. And she's a major, major record collector. And we interviewed her at her home in Harlem. And so when we uh, visited her that day for the, for the interview, as we were setting up, she naturally put on a record. And as we were setting up, everybody slowly but surely at some point in time made their way over to the turntable to figure out what we were grooving to. <laughs> because we were not familiar with this particular album at that point in time. Um, and we discovered that we were listening to BT Express's nonstop. And uh, it was just it just put us all in a fantastic mood. It set the tone. It set the vibe. Uh, it was very relaxed and chill. And we were grooving. And it just just put us in the right frame of mind. The very next day, we drove from New York City all the way down to Baltimore, Maryland to do an interview uh, with a record store owner, Cat Peach, at Hair's Breath Records in Fells Point, RIP, Hair's Breath Records, didn't make it mm. through the pandemic, uh, mm. but Cat is still going strong. And um, after the interview, uh, when Kevin finished, Kevin finished the interview, he started digging through her uh, her record selection there, and she had choice, choice, used vinyl. And um, not only did Kevin find one copy of BT Express nonstop, he found two copies of BT Express nonstop. And so this had to be. So Kevin rushed up the cat and told her the whole story I just told you and said, Cat, we've got to buy these albums. Chris and I need a copy of this. And she said, oh, just take them. They're on us. Our gift to you. So that is how the album came into our lives. Um, we were not BT Express fans before that. That is why we're not picking their first album. That's better known. It's why we're picking this album nonstop. <laughs> I was familiar with the with the sort of constellation that area, I would say the, the solar system that BT Express belonged to, but it was an undiscovered planet to me um, before before this <laughs> this particular event that Chris is speaking of. Uh, I think I I was familiar coming from the Midwest, which is the region of my birth. I was definitely familiar with Ohio and Chicago funk yeah. from this time, yeah. um, and definitely familiar with some of the West Coast iterations of the Forum too, uh, but. The, the New York, the Brooklyn sound that BT Express is, is a perfect example of uh, was, was, was dark through the telescope to me until, <laughs> until, uh, until this all happened. Uh, and now it is really brightly lit. I, I'm very impressed that you managed to take that metaphor to the extent that you did. So kudos, kudos for that. <laughs> I think I, I jumped out just in time because it was, <laughs> it was about to snap back like a rubber band. Well, I was going to ask, you know, how each of you were made familiar with the group, but you just told me that story. And for me, um, you know, my intro to BT Express uh, is not through nonstop. I, I might have this in my collection. I actually didn't bother to look, but uh, I definitely knew, knew about them through their first album, which, as I mentioned during the intro, was Do It Till You're Satisfied, uh, because as a hip hop guy, that LP was sampled to death. And it's not that nonstop didn't get similar love from producers, but there's nothing on this album that we're talking about today that was quite as popular as sampling material as uh, a few tracks off of uh, Do It Till You're Satisfied, including the title song, though my personal favorite off of that particular LP is If I Don't Turn You On, which EPMD was, I maybe wasn't the first to sample it, but I feel like they did the most to immortalize that source uh, sample from uh, on their big hit, So What You Saying. 
The importance of it, yeah, yeah, we're back to work. I took time off, all the rappers got jerked. Due to the fact they whack in their track, have to go back and stack because they lack the ingredients. Kevin, I'm really glad you brought up the whole, I, the whole thing about the Brooklyn sound because, you know, some of the distinguishing elements of it, I think that may be separated from, let's say, the Italio disco of Donna Summer and Giorgio Moroder has a lot to do with the instrumentation and the comp, the kind of ensemble sound that they brought to it, which probably, I mean, I'm sure there might be some drum machine and some other more electronic instrumentation in there, but a lot of the sound of this album, you know, it feels and sounds live that they, they brought together a room, of mu- a room full of musicians to put this together. So it's still disco, but it's not necessarily the kind of more electric kind of proto house disco that a later, you know, that, that by the late seventies became more dominant. Yeah, it almost seems to me to be disco in intent rather than in makeup. Um, I, I This is my very preliminary theory. I, I feel like Ohio funk is the, the, the purpose, the end result is you're supposed to appreciate the, the virtuosic skills of the musicians. You're supposed to walk away with Ohio funk saying, man, those guys and, and those women can really play. Yeah. Um, and you're supposed to walk away from the sort of Afrofuturist funk like like George Clinton and Bootsy Collins with not only can those guys play, but wow, don't they have wild imaginations too? Yeah. I feel like you're supposed to walk away from BT Express and their Brooklyn sound compatriots with a I'm really ready to dance. Like I I, I feel like it is music for the dance floor, even though even though that live quality you're talking about is completely present on the record. I just want to, I don't want to adjust your phrasing. I don't think anybody walks away from this. They're only no. dancing, right? <laughs> yeah, only yeah. dancing. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, the part of what I think we're, we're talking around too is that Disco as a genre, and we recently had recorded an episode about, speaking of Italio disco sound and Georgia Moroder, we'd done an episode about Donna Summer's Bad Girls, which, and of course her partnership with Moroder, you know, invented a whole subsection of, of disco music, but you would never confuse the Donna Summer, Giorgio Moroder sound with what's going on with BT Express here. And to me, this is a really crucial reminder that disco was never a monolithic genre or style even though i think for a lot of the anti-disco crowd that's you know that was the first accusation they would throw at it is that it all sounds the same and you would only say that if you actually never bothered to listen to the vast spectrum of different disco styles that are out there yeah and for me the what the biggest thing that drew me to this record when we first heard it in raza's apartment was just the instrumentation i mean the players in BT Express at this time are all phenomenal and it is tight. Like every track is tight. Um, vocals is usually what brings me personally into music. I, I grew up singing. And so that's usually what I glom onto and, uh, being born at the same year as this album came out, uh, you know, I living in the suburbs in Wilmington, Delaware. Sorry. I just, I really just wasn't introduced to disco music beyond like seeing disco fever on TV. Disco uh, like, fever, baby. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. I mean, I was too young, really. Right. And, and and unfortunately, um, disco got a bad reputation at the time where I was just old enough to even understand popular music. Um, and it was an unfair represent, a representation. And so I, I had no desire to, to discover it. 
And making this film has been a way for me to explore other genres when someone has introduced me to this music. So again, when Ross put on this record, it opened a totally new door that I just never even thought to open. And I've just been kicking myself. Like, why? Why haven't I explored this? And so this record has been on my turntable a ton since we shot it. And so when Kevin and I were talking about, well, what record do we want to talk about on Heat Rocks? We wanted to be something that was that we had in common. Right. And this made a ton of sense. But again, getting back to your point, again, the instrumentation is just is just so tight and it always it always gets me to move, even when I don't even realize I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm always moving when I listen to this album. Kevin, how about you? What was your relationship to disco like uh, growing up or even as an adult? The funny thing is the first time I ever heard disco slurred was in reference to Celebration by Cool and the Gang, uh, a song I then loved and continue to love and, and was unaware really until I was an adult that it was sort of in the dead. It was maybe... I was, it was maybe 70% of the way through the total discography of Cool and the Gag, that there was a lot before and definitely yeah. some after. <laughs> I remember loving that song and, and and being told by my peers that I wasn't supposed to like it because it was disco. Yeah. Um, and I look at that in comparison to what we're talking about now, and Cool and the Gang regionally comes from basically the same place as BT Express. I mean, Jersey City, New Jersey versus Brooklyn. Sure. And they were also a band with, uh, with a lot of members. And I yeah. think by the time the Celebrate record came out, you could listen to a song like Celebration and be asked, how many people were in this band? And you'd say, eh, four, five, maybe, um, because there was something very tight and focused about, about the compositions on that record and the kind of stuff that that band was doing at that time. Yeah. Um, which, and, and it was freer and looser earlier in their career and sounded more like, now granted, cele Celebrate is five years after nonstop, but, but there is something freer and looser about the instrumentation on nonstop. And it really makes you feel like there are seven or eight people playing and they're all distinct, even, though, even as their instruments uh, blend beautifully together at the same time. I'm really glad you all brought up Cool in the Gang as well, because I think one of the things about BT Express, including on this album, that really stands out to me is the horn section. And it's something that um, that element in particular, having a horn uh, section on a disco record is what connects a group like BT Express with slightly older, more kind of what you might describe as proto-disco, soul and funk ensembles, which absolutely would include Cool in the Gang. Um, and especially, I, I think, Kevin, to your point, is that if you're a band in Brooklyn, there's no way Cool in the Gang is not entering in on some level as an influence, given just the proximity. But certainly Earth, Wind and Fire would be part of that uh, average white band. I mean, these are all groups who had uh, top level horn sections that were so fundamental until their sound. And it wasn't until I was listening to this BT Express LP that I, I realized that a lot of the disco that other disco that I know, um, the dominant instruments or instrumentation are going to be, obviously the percussion section is always going to be very foremost. And a lot of them have, you know, these big lush string sections, but they don't always have horns. Uh, you know, I went back actually to Donna Summer's Bad Girls and there's not a lot of horns on there. 
but horns are all over this BT Express LP. And I think it goes back to having that influence from these big un- funk ensemble groups where you could, you, you can't have that sound without a horn section. And so, uh, that to me is what kind of bridges this group in between slightly older groups. And then what you might find, you know, happening later on in the late seventies and early eighties. Yeah. The horns is definitely something that brought me into this album for sure. And, and that's, those are the, those are the elements within the songs that I keep getting drawn into and mm-hmm. you were talking you're talking about the earlier episode that you did uh, about bad girls at donna summer i was listening back to that episode recently mm-hmm. um and i'm just also what was what's interesting to me about this album is there really isn't much in the way of synthesizer i i think they bring on somebody for maybe a little bit of moog but it's it's not it's it's pretty much right. like you said early on it sounds like live recording essentially and again these are all master musicians getting yep. into a room. And again, what I love about each of the tracks is a lot of them don't have lots of vocals. You know, they're really showing off their chops so that you can be out on that dance floor that whole time right. and just get with the groove. And yeah, and the horns are just such a great part of that, but they're so varied too throughout uh, the entire album. Um, that just, uh, yeah, that just keeps pulling me in every time I listen to it. We will be back with more of our conversation with the filmmakers behind Vinyl Nation after a brief word from some of our sibling Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked. The Beef and Dairy Network is a multi-award winning comedy podcast here on Maximum Fun, and I would recommend you listen to it. But don't just take it from me. What do the listeners have to say? Would I recommend Beef and Dairy Network podcast? Um... No, I don't think I would. Right, let me be very clear about this. Under no circumstances would I recommend this to anyone I've ever met. No, absolutely not. No, I couldn't. I feel quite sick thinking about the things I've heard. Please stop calling me. Please leave me alone. That's the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, available at MaximumFun.org and at all good and some bad podcast platforms. Literally, just leave me alone. Hi, I'm Renee Colbert. I'm Alexis Preston. And we're the hosts of the smash hit podcast, Can I Pet Your Dog? Now, Alexis. Yes. We got big news. Uh Uh-oh. Since last we did a promo, our dogs have become famous. World famous. World, like, stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Second big news. Mm -hmm. The reviews are in. Mm Mm-hmm. Take yourself to Apple Podcasts. You know what you're going to hear? We're happy. It's true. We're a delight. A great distraction from the world. I like that part a lot. So if that's what you guys are looking for, mm-hmm. you got to check out our show. But what else can they expect? We've got dog tech, dog news, celebrities with their dogs, all dog things. All the dog things. So if that interests you, well, get yourself on over to Maximum Fun every Tuesday. We are back here on Heat Rocks talking about BT Express's nonstop with our guests, the filmmakers behind Vinyl Nation, Kevin Smokler and Christopher Boone. I'm going to go off on a brief tangent here uh, coming out of the break. And I'm assuming neither of you were vinyl neophytes before you began work on the movie. But I am wondering for each of you, therefore, as people who already were familiar with elements of, of records and the, the vinyl world, What's one new thing that you learned in the process of making the film that you had not realized or considered before? Be, uh, considered before? Okay, so 
full disclosure, Kevin's got a much deeper catalog than I do. And he was way more into records than I was when we started the project. Um, but that was also what intrigued me about the project. Um, I'd gotten into records maybe back in 2014. Um, but what really made me interested in doing the project was my daughter, who's now 17, got her own turntable mm. um, about a year later. And so when we started doing initial research, yes, we we did hear that there were kids who were buying records that didn't have turntables. And I honestly thought that was apocryphal. I did not believe it. I thought that doesn't make any sense. But you just kept hearing it. No, no, it happens and happens. It's like, that's not true. It is true. <laughs> we, we met a lot of people who that was the that was the case for them. And uh, that was fascinating to me. So I wanted to dig into it a little bit more. Like, why? Why would why on earth would you buy a record and not be able to play it? And and by and large, a lot of those young fans who bought records without turntables are saying they just wanted to support their their favorite artists. They were going to concerts. They uh, wanted to show their fandom the biggest way they knew how. So they went to the merch table and a T-shirt just didn't cut it. They had yeah. to buy the record that that was up there and it called out to them because not only is an album, but all of a sudden it's like, that's, that's something I can put on my wall. That's a poster. And I can show the world, like, I'm such a fan. I don't even have a turntable, but I have the record. And what was fascinating to us is when we did start talking to people and one of whom is actually in our film, uh, Ellie Fessler, who at the time was a student at Pratt Institute. She told us a story that's not in the movie. When she moved to Pratt as a freshman, she brought her turntable and only a handful of records because that's all you can fit in a dorm room. And she set it up there and immediately she made friends. I think it was with her roommate who noticed one of her albums and said, that's one of my favorite bands. I have two tickets to see a show with them this week in New York. Do you want to go? So like, boom, records make fast friends. And then a guy came walking by her dorm room, saw her turntable and he went, wait, I'll be right back. And he ran up to his room and he grabbed a record and he came down. And he said, this is my favorite band of all time, but I've never been able to listen to this album on vinyl because I don't have a turntable. Can I put it on yours? And she's like, yeah, go ahead. So Records definitely bring people together, but I, I was just, I was floored that young people really did buy records and, and people tell stories. Oh, I had 10, I had 15, I had 20 records before I even decided to even get a turntable. And then, and then once they got a turntable, that's when it all went downhill for them. <laughs> they right. just had to keep buying records after that. So, I mean, we had heard those things, but actually meeting people who did that, that truly blew me away. And these are people who I thought it was fascinating, never own physical media whatsoever. They yeah. just had iTunes and Spotify and now records. They never collected CDs. Um, and again, I thought that was totally fascinating. Coming back to BT Express and their 1975 album, Nonstop. If the two of you have been listening to the show, you know this question was coming up. What is your fire track off of this Nonstop LP? Kevin, you want to go first? Oh, sure. <laughs> Chris and I were just arguing over who should go first. Um, <laughs> My fire, uh, my fire track is Peace Pipe, the opening track. I, I think oh. it's, um, it, it's interesting. I think it opens in a totally different way than the first track on the first studio album opens, which yeah. is which is almost dumbly obvious. It opens with a train whistle, and it's like, oh, you're listening to a band called BT Express. There's a big picture of the train on the front and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I really appreciate the fact that um, that. Peace Pipe is a bit longer than most of the other tracks on the album. I think it's seven minutes long, maybe. Um, and uh, I feel like the musicians really get time to kind of stretch their wings and fly on that song. And I love that the album is from 1975, and this is clearly a song about 
getting high. It could have easily been from 1968 or 67. But there's a counterpoint in the vocals. Um, BT Express has three lead singers, I think. Um, and uh, I think Richard Thompson, the guitarist, is singing, is singing the male lead on this song. And it's all, about, it's all about put it in your peace pipe and smoke, obviously. And then the great Barbara Joyce comes in and says, and says do so because it will bring humanity and togetherness and all this kind of stuff. Yes, this is a message you could have gotten on hate street, you know, in, in June of sure. 1967. Yeah. But there's something, there's something to me that touches a lot of different forms of black pop music at that time. Um, it sounds like disco. It has an Afrofuturist message. It's a little bit psychedelic. It, it, it's almost like a, it's almost like a dancier rotary connection track in that way. And th- this is a very long way of saying, of saying yeah. that's my, it's really my favorite track on the album. I agree that I think it's an interesting way to open the album in terms mm. of the difference, as you were pointing out, between the first song from their previous one and this one. I mean, for me, though, what hit me immediately is that this song, I don't think, would survive scrutiny in 2020 because it opens with some very stereotypical, like, Indian drumming and chanting. Um, and of course, you know, we got to remember, this is in the mid-70s, you have members of the village people dressing up as quote unquote Indian. So this is not an unusual thing in the world of, of pop culture. It just, to me at least, it doesn't really age particularly well. And I think if you strip that off, the rest of the song, at least they don't, they don't double down on that throughout. It's really just how it opens and the rest of it, um, you know, goes off into the other directions as, as Kevin's pointing out. But I think for me, that's the first thing I'm like, really guys, you, you guys are going to do the, the Indian chant and the drumming thing, the hey, yeah, hey, yeah. Okay. All right. I, I see where you're going with this. But then as you point out, like it ultimately, it really is a song about getting high. So there it is. Um, Christopher, how about you? What's your fire track off uh, of nonstop? So my fire track uh, would be uh, Give It What You Got. Mm. Um, so it's the second track on the album and <laughs> that's the track whenever I'm listening to this album, again, like I said, I, I tend to cook when I'm listening to records. That's the track that I, I realized I have started to dance and groove in the kitchen, but I didn't even realize I was doing it <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm hoping there's nobody watching me. <laughs> I, I always would just uh, focus on the music when I first started listening to this album. Then the more I got into it and really started paying attention to the lyrics, I love the song even more because this song is a hustler's anthem. If I ever heard one, um, mm. it's not deep at all, but you know, coming into like the second verse, it's just basically saying, you know, don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it. Like, and when people are trying to stop you and tell you it's all in vain, just give it what you got. And I think any creative person needs to hear that over and over and over again. I know I always put up obstacles in my way when I'm trying to create something and I need somebody to remind me like, no, you just got to keep doing it. So again, for just that, the hustlers anthem aspect of it, uh, I always, I just keep coming back to this track. Tell you you can't make it. And all that you do is 
For me, my fire track, you know, I went with the one song that doesn't sound like anything else off the LP, which is Close to You. I think partly it's because none of the dance tracks on this album, and except for Close to You, everything on here is a dance track. To be quite candid, I could not really groove to anything to such an extent where it just be, it elevated to become my fire track. I mean, it's all extremely competent, but nothing on here was like, oh man, this is my jam. And so I think that partly helped Close to You stand out because it is the only ballad on an LP otherwise filled with, with disco dance songs. Um, I like a good Carpenter's cover when it's done well, and I think this this is the case. And I think we, you know we've been talking about the the role of the vocals on here is you know this is the one song I mean mostly because it's a slow jam where you have Joyce and I'm assuming it's Thompson who's on the other lead. They really get to sing in a way where a lot of the other songs their vocals serve the track, but in this case they're really allowed to just, to just kind of flow with it. Uh, and I think it's really nice to be able to hear just that difference in how they approach singing compared to most of the rest of the LP. Um, also, I know if Morgan had joined us, she would probably chime in right now that she would that she liked the song also because uh, Janet Jackson sampled it to very great effect on her song, I Want You, from the uh, Demita Joe LP. I don't know, like, like I was definitely a surprise. The first time I heard that, I was like, oh my God, really? <laughs> like, it seems I, random, right? Like of all the songs you could cover the Carpenters close to you, like, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it seems like it was like missequenced from like a, a, a <laughs> like an EP they had done of ballads or covers or something like that. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. But like, I think, I mean, I, I think they have very skilled vocalists in this group, and you're right. They don't like other than a lot of the flourishes, which really almost exclusively belong to Barbara Joyce on this record. Um, it's neat to see. It's neat to see the other vocalists um, have their moment too. And I yeah. really like. I don't know what the instrument is specifically, but that wow, that wow, wow. So that that sort of spacey vibrato kind of sound in that group, I think, is a really interesting take on a, on a song that can come off as as as. I wouldn't say needlessly syrupy, but I, I almost feel like time has made that song sound like something you're supposed to hear at an expensive department store, as a, right. um, um, which isn't fair to 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 that song. But the thing about that track for me, uh, like separate from the album, I enjoy it. But it, as much as I like something to break things up too, it actually didn't feel like a piece with the album, especially one that's called Nonstop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But um, this is a stop. This is this is where it jumps the rails. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you but go. then again, it is the leadoff track of the B side, so it's a it's a good it's a good opportunity, I think, to take that break. Um, but yeah, it's it's not of a piece with everything anything else on yeah. the album. So it is one of those things that you have to adjust, and it helps that you are flipping that the album over if you right. are listening to it on vinyl to be like, oh right, right, right. I'm going to settle in here for a moment, and then we're going to pick up again. Okay, good. <laughs> 
it does have its own interesting syncopation with the song, right? It definitely, mm-hmm, right. It, they do make it their own for sure. I, I'm right. not a fan of covers that try to basically be the song that you already know. Sure. And I understand the Carpenters is the best known version of the track. It's not even the original, but it's like right. what, what we kind of think of. So I do appreciate how, okay, this is definitely a BT Express take on it. And that syncopation pushing things off the beat a bit. I, that I, I like about it, but again, yeah, it is that kind of break in everything right. else. So, yeah. And it's got a sex appeal to it too. Like, like sure. the, the Carpenter's version of the song sounds, you know, can sound really chaste, like, and, and really, and really well, cut. Right. I'm, which is the whole, and that's the, that's the Carpenter's brand, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this has a, has a, a sultry kind of, kind of blissed out late night vibe to it that that i i think adds that makes it minimum pg-13 and maybe maybe a gentle r (laughs) so it may not be you know unqualifiably baby making music but it's a kind of adjacent to that like it's in the it's hinting in the direction is what you're saying prelude two there oh i like that prelude two Mm -hmm. well we also want to know what people's favorite moments off of this lp are and i'll start this off and I was saying before in the first half of the show that I kept waiting to see if Molten uh, would hook up a, a monster disco break. And I don't think this album quite has that in the same way that some of his other uh, uh, productions or engineering does. But I'm certainly happy with the way in which he opens several songs on this album with uh, with a drum break. Um, and the, my favorite being in terms of the, just that those first few bars is how he opens. You got it. I want it. And in particular, it's not just the fact that you have a drum break, but also that you have, it's, everything's very sparse. And on an album, which there's a lot of orchestrated layers to it, it's nice just to have a slight difference here with something that's, you start with just the drums, then you add in the bass line, uh, and then you add in the horns, and then everything else kind of falls into place. But for those first, I don't know, I'm guessing probably about four bars or so, you kind of just get to breathe with just those three elements. And I really appreciate that, that aspect of it. How about for each of you, uh, Christopher, we started with Kevin last time. So what was, uh, Christopher, what was your favorite moment off of this LP? Uh, so uh, it, for me, it's, um, uh, it's a part of still good, still like it. It's bef- right before we get into the verse, it's about like, I don't know, 20, 25 seconds in. And I'm not exactly sure what the instrument is. I'm pretty, I think it's a soprano sax. It's, it's always kind of blow my mind. Cause the first two notes almost make me, when I first heard it, I thought it was the organ, but then I realized, no, 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 this is definitely a wind instrument here. Um, but it's that, you know, um, and it just, the way it kicks, I, I just, I just really, really, really like that. And then also just how it, it's a little off syncopation and then just lands right underneath the verse, the bump, 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 bump. I just every time with time that that hook I love it you know and it comes back in again when the verse comes back in the middle of the song so that's that's my favorite moment on the album and then Kevin how about you I, I actually, it's funny that you chose the sparseness of uh, you got it, I want it, because my favorite is is when the 
dance groove of the whole thing picks right back up with the next track, The Devil's Workshop, which, mm-hmm. uh, which does what You Got It, I Want It does in 16 bars in about three and a half. It's like, um, it starts with... Um, it starts with the same percussion or bass groove that mimics the vocal line, but then it immediately layers in the brass and the, um, and uh, the guitar. And then, and then Barbara Joyce's vocal comes in almost right away with the line. Some, I don't remember what it is. Something, something devil's workshop. Um, as if to say, as if to say, have you enjoyed your break? All right. Well, the train is speeding away now. So, so hop back on. If you had to introduce this album to someone who had never listened to it, and much in the way that perhaps each of you were introduced to it uh, when you were filming, what song would you choose off here that you think serves as the best introduction to what BT Express is about? I think I would say either "Give It What You Got" or the or the closing track, "What You Think About That," which I think mm. is um, which I think is uh, um, it, it, that that track is almost speaking it's speaking more directly to you the listener than any of the other tracks on the album um and it's a, and there's a strutting quality to it that i think is the is, is my favorite thing about disco disco always seems to have like its left hip forward like it's always uh it's it's always a little bit proud of itself in the best way emotionally it's my favorite thing about the genre and i think that song has that has that cockiness and that swagger to it So if the two of you, and, and you can decide whether you want to collaborate on these three words or each of you have your own three words, but if you had to describe nonstop by BT Express in three words, what three words would you choose? Uh, my three are now arriving funk. Ooh, I like that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, I think I've used some of these words already. Uh, I would say uh, propulsive, infectious and undeniable. Mm. Oh, very good, very good. Before we jump out of here, we always want to leave our audience with something else to step to. And uh, for me, this is actually a very lazy choice, but I still think it's a good one, which is that if you like nonstop, you really need to rewind back a year and go back to BT Express's Do It To You're Satisfied. So you can also see both the similarities and differences in just how a single year uh, you can hear some of that evolution in what the group does on a musical level between the two. So again, if you like nonstop, you're not going to, I'd be amazed if you were to go back to Do It To You're Satisfied and, and find that disappointing somehow. How about for each of you, what would you recommend our audience members get into? So uh, this is Chris here. Um, 
I would actually fast forward all the way to uh, last week. Um, <laughs> uh, an album dropped last week from a band called The Freedom Affair out of Kansas City. And for anyone who has seen our film, you heard them. They are the band you hear in the opening scene of our film at Mills Record Company in Kansas City, Missouri. And the track we captured live was Rise Up. Um, when we heard there was going to be, to be you know, live music at Record Store Day, we're like, okay, cool, great. You know, you don't know what to expect. This band walks up and we see it's a it looks like a six piece band and it starts and it is tight, tight, mm. tight. And then wait for it. Three female vocalists walk up on stage and just blew us all away. And I was like, mm. thank God we have the cameras rolling on this. Um, it is one of my favorite songs in uh, many years um those of you who've seen a recent apple watch ad is actually featured in the apple watch ad that just came out like two weeks ago but they just dropped finally their uh their first full-length album called freedom is love um it's available on Bandcamp and and all the streaming services uh services and um the reason i thought of it after this is not not so much because we're coming from like funk and going to soul um but kind of two reasons one the last track uh, what you think about that has this on on the stop has this kind of political vibe and, and wants to get you thinking about what you could be doing to make the world a better place. And that's mm. definitely what the Freedom Fair is all about. Um, the first half of the album is heartbreak and love that you probably shouldn't chase after. But the second half of the album is all tracks I think we need to hear right now. Rise Up kicks off the second half of the album and is just track after track after track of messages that we need now. I mean, they sample Maya Angelou on the final track. It's, um, you just gotta go get it. Uh, Again, Freedom Affair, Freedom is Love. My my answer, I, I was really intrigued. What what the BT Express brought up for me was this relationship between musical virtuosity uh, and and danceability, particularly in a in a large group in a large group of black musicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what that prope- that propelled me forward thirty years um, to actually to TV on the radio's most recent album, Seeds, which I thought. And and I'm I'm a big fan of the band, but you you would be right in saying their earlier records, particularly their first two, have a definite kind of Brooklyn art school vibe to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Seeds is their most accessible record. It is very much as musically sophisticated as the first four records, but it is also very focused on danceability, stuff to be listened to in a dark room full of strangers. And that relationship between how well the musicians play and how interested they are in uh, in hitting you below the hips, uh, to me, is a direct line from nonstop to, to seats. This is great. I haven't heard either of these, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to checking these out. 
Well, that will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guests, the filmmakers behind the new Vinyl Nation. And it is obviously a very tough time to be putting any new movies out there in a time when most of us don't feel safe going to the theater. So how is it that you all are distributing the film? Is it available on demand right now? How can someone watch it if they're interested? Uh, So right now we're doing our virtual cinema release of Vinyl Nation. So you can go to VinylNationFilm.com. Click on the button where to watch. And we have over 100 virtual cinema partners spread all over the country, um, mostly art house cinemas and record stores. And you can buy a ticket from a local record store or art house cinema in your area. And 50% of the ticket proceeds go back to that partner. So again, BionationFilm.com. And where can folks learn more about each of you uh, individually? Chris and I are both on all of the socials. Uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, at Ouija, W-E-E-G-E-E. And at Instagram, just my last name, Smokler, S-M-O-K-L-E-R. Uh, and on Twitter, I don't tweet much. But if you want to follow me, I'm at Barton Deepwood. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.